and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, uh, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were uh, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful and grateful for the occasion that brings us together today, this first day of the week when we can set ourselves apart from the world to come together as a group of believers to sit around the preaching of the word of God, to be encouraged, to be instructed by your spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would meet with us in a special way today. Yes, this is our missions month, but mission should be on our heart every month of the year, every day of the year, as we see and live in a world uh, that is lost and yet in sin. Not everyone in the world has heard the gospel yet even one time. And so, Lord, we have an awesome responsibility to continue to carry the gospel forth and to spread the good news that of salvation through Jesus Christ. Pray that you would meet with us in a very special way by your Holy Spirit through your word today. Lord, these folks have not come to hear the man, but they come to hear the message from thy word. So may we go away different than what we came in and have a different perspective than, than maybe what we've ever had towards missions as we consider this thought today. Why missions? In your precious name we do ask it. Amen. There have been a number of uh, folks that have been sent out through local churches in, 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 in past years. So I think of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor said the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. It's not a suggestion. It's a command that God's given to us. He also said God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Many times people say, well, I just don't have the boldness and the courage. I'm not strong enough, healthy enough or whatever it may be to go. And Hudson says, hey, it's not a matter of you being strong enough or healthy enough. It's a matter of those who are weak and feeble often are the ones that do the work. And get the, get the job done. Oswald J. Smith, uh, a pastor of the People's Church there in Toronto a number of years ago, said, We talk of the second coming, yet half of the world has never heard of his first. We talk of the second coming, of Christ coming back, but half of the world has never heard of the first. Any church not involved in the Great Commission, Oswald Smith says, has for forfeited its biblical right to exist. Let me read that again. Any church not involved in the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. God's called the church to go forth. Jim Elliott, that missionary to the Aka Indian, says, forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. And of course, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Then uh, Nate Sate, one of the missionaries that was with him, he was the pilot. Nate said, I would rather die than live a, a life of, of obliviousness, uh, ease in so sick a world. I would rather die now than live a life of oblivious ease in so sick a world. And then uh, uh, Roderick Davis said, love is, love is the root of missions, sacrifice is the fruit of missions. And then I like this one here. Robert Shannon said, never pity missionaries, envy them. They are where the real action is, where life and death, sin and grace, heaven and hell converge. And so why missions? Why should we consider? Why should we contemplate it today? 
because the, the worldwide need of missions of the, for the gospel is still great. As of March 2020, there's an estimated, uh, estimated to be 7.8 billion people living on the earth. Yet of that 7.8 billion people living on the earth, two-thirds of the world's population, more than 4.4 billion people, uh, live in what's called the 1040 window. That's the 10th uh, degree north latitude and the 40th degree. Between th those two latitudes, north, 10 and 40 degrees, 4.4 billion people, over ha uh, half of the people of the world live in that 1040 window. Flushing doesn't fall in that. Flushing is at the 43 degree north. So we're just outside of the 1040 window. But it's mainly talking about the continents of Africa and Asia where these people live. 90% of the people living in that 1040 window are unevangelized. In other words, they've not yet re reached and been re reached with the gospel. Many have never heard the gospel even once. There are either no Christians or not enough of a Christian movement in many of the cultures in the 1040 window to carry the vibrant ministry of evangelism there. 85% of those living in the 1040 window are the poorest of the world's poor. The world religions in those regions, many of them are Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, are the center of the 1040 window. Half of the world's least uh, uh, evangelized cities fall in that 1040 window. The good news uh, is there's a difference between unreached and unreachable. In 1989, there were only four known Christians living in Mongolia. That country now has an estimated 10,000 indigenous believers. Also, Christian television and programming can now be received in many of those closed to the 1040 window. One of the greatest fields as far as people being converted to Jesus Christ by the gospel getting to them, believe it or not, is in the land of China. The country of China, there are more converts being made to turning to Jesus Christ than any other place on our planet. The church has been commissioned by God for the single purpose of taking the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. The problem is, is we're not doing a very good job. It's stated that Coca-Cola has done a better job of promoting its beverage to the world than the church has done in spreading the gospel to the world. Statistics bear that fact out. It is estimated that 90%, 97% of the world has heard of Coca-Cola. 74% of the world has actually seen a can of Coca-Cola and 51% of the world has tasted Coca-Cola. 51% has actually tasted Coca-Cola. They've done a tremendous job marketing their product. Coca-Cola has only been around for less than 100 years and yet the majority of the world has either heard, seen, or tasted Coca-Cola. If God had given the task of world evangelism to the Coca-Cola company, it would probably be done as far as evangelizing the world at this particular time. And that's why it's so important for we as a church and churches across this, uh, this nation and around the world that are uh, gospel preaching, Bible preaching churches to see the urgency, the need to get the gospel out to those that have never heard. This morning, we want to look at the why of missions Four reasons. It is so important for you, for me, for our church, uh, for churches across this world uh, to, to, to be concerned and, and care about missions. Uh, first of all, notice with me the command from above, the command from above. Turn if you would please to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, of course, is known as the Great Commission passage. Matthew chapter 28, there we see the command from above. Christ is about ready to leave his disciples. He's going to go back to heaven. He's raised from the dead. 
He's living, giving them their, their basically their marching orders here of what they are to do. He's already told them in the past, but now it's a reminder of what he's already told them. And there in verse number 16 of chapter 28, it says, Then the eleven were, uh, went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But notice the next three words. But some doubted. Even after all, all the time that they had spent with him, all that they had seen, all that they experienced, yet there were still some doubts about what was about to take place. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. They were doubting, and Christ realized their, their fear. The doubt was more out of fear. That's why many times the gospel isn't going out yet even today, is because of fear. And the very first thing that Christ tells them here in, in this, on this occasion is, All power is given unto me. And he's telling them, go ye, notice the next uh, verse says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. As we see that the church has been given the commission to, to take the mission forth, uh, take the gospel forth to the world. And we see Paul and Barnabas being sent out by this church and as our church here has sent some from our own ministry and have brought other folks in that have come from other ministries and we've supported them and sent them to the far reaches of the world. We need to realize that it's a command from above that needs to be fulfilled. First of all, we notice that it's a personal command. Verse number 19 says, go ye. George Stott, a one-legged school teacher from Scotland, volunteered for missionary service in China. When asked why he, with only one leg, thought of going to China, he made this statement. I do not see those with two legs going, so I must. Thus began more than a 20-year uh, ministry of his work there in China. One-legged man didn't realize and didn't consider his handicap to hold him back from being able to do the work for the Lord. He didn't see two-legged people go, so he figured he'd go himself. But we see here, first of all, it's a personal command for us to go. It doesn't mean that we have to go to the far reaches of the world. We just need to go maybe next door to our neighbor. Maybe just talk to the individual that's uh, on the line next to us in the shop. Maybe it's a, a co-worker. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relative just around the corner in the next town uh, away from us here. But whatever it may be, we have the responsibility because Jesus Christ said, go ye. He didn't specify uh, a particular group of individuals like pastors. He didn't specify the deacons. He didn't specify uh, anything in, in, in that order. He said, go ye into all the world. And so we see it's a personal command from above. Secondly, we see it's a powerful command. It's a powerful command. There in verse number 18, he says, all power is given unto me. You know, as a pastor steps to the pulpit to preach, as I did this morning, and as well as pastor so often does and really every Sunday does oftentimes he'll come out of this side door over here and the main reason is he gets alone with God back there prior to coming onto the platform he's spending some time in prayer now he's he's prayed up and he's prepared himself for Sunday morning services and we that's what we do but the reality is is man just before you go on and you, you just want that extra that extra oomph of, 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 of God's power God's blessing uh, to, to, to be upon you and to work in and through you it's not by my might nor by my power, but by God's spirit that the work and the word of God is able to go forth. And so he says, all power is given unto me. Christ says, because I have all the power, I'm going to distribute the ability, the power for you to do what I've called you to do. 
It may be, you know, just taking the gospel to that individual. I, I always talk about divine appointments. The fact that God has divine appointments for you and for me. And he brings them to us or takes us to them. We find ourselves many times in one-on-one situations that we hadn't expected, that we hadn't planned on. Or maybe just a small group of people. We have the opportunity in those times to share the good news of the gospel with those folks. Uh, most years, uh, well, for the past 24 years, we've always gone and taken a ministry team to New York City. And as we go into the streets, the parks, the projects, the subway system to minister the gospel, there are individuals that, that we meet along the way. Yeah, we meet groups of people and minister to groups of people. But oftentimes we find ourselves confronted face to face with just an individual. And oftentimes as they're, maybe they're reading a tract that we've handed to them or walk up to them and just say, hey, it's kind of like uh, uh, Philip when he asked the eunuch, do you understand what you read? We will say, hey, have you ever seen anything like that before? You ever had a, a gospel tract handed to you? Oftentimes the folks will say, well, you know, we get handed a lot of things, but I don't know that I've ever had anything like this handed to me. And it's an opportunity to take that uh, the privilege and, and realizing that, you know, I don't have the words. I don't have the ability to, to be able to do those things to present the gospel yet. God gives you the enablement, the, the, the understanding of his word, and to be able to share that with him. So we see it's a personal command from above. We see it's a powerful command from above, but it's also a purposeful command. There's a reason why we are to go, because the world has yet to hear. We notice here from our text uh, and this passage of scripture that he says that we're to teach all nations. And of course, that word teach is different from the second word teach. That first word teach means to evangelize. To, to propagate the gospel, to give it forth to those maybe that have never heard or have never received the gospel. And so we're to propagate. That's to preach the gospel, give it forth. And then it says we're to baptize. And that just simply means to, to instill the practice of the gospel. Of course, baptism uh, is the identification of a decision that we've made. It's an, it's an outward sign of an inward decision. As we baptize here at our church by immersion, that's the biblical way. That's what the word baptizo in the Greek means, to, to dip, to plunge under, to immerse. And that's why we do the baptism by immersion. But as an individual comes to know Christ as their Savior and begins to grow in their walk and relationship with him, they understand that there's a, a, a visible thing. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ himself set himself apart to be baptized, not because he needed to be, but as a symbol of, of that which he would desire for us, of a, of a, of a commitment that we would follow through on. In, in, in practicing the gospel as we go forth. And it's pictures of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so we are to teach them to practice the gospel. And then we see that, that they are to uh, teach others also. And we see that that's to mobilize, propagating the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And we're really, uh, missions is a, is a discipleship thing. It doesn't matter where we are in life. The gospel is all about giving it forth to those that have not heard or not understood and then teaching them uh, to observe those things and practice those things, implement those things in their life so that they in turn can propagate the gospel. And when we've done our job, we've obeyed the command from above. We can see the work of the ministry going forth. It's exciting to hear the testimony of missionaries that have gone to areas and regions where the gospel has not yet been. I think of the Zimmer family as they've uh, sent uh, one son to Yap and sent another son uh, or two sons to Yap and another son to Palau. Going to regions, small little dots, islands uh, out in the ocean that uh, have, you know, rarely if, if ever heard the gospel and yet to, 
get their missionary letters and get the reports back of what God's doing, the amazing work that he's doing and seeing souls uh, saved, lives being changed, changed, church buildings being erected and and the gospel going forth. I know Mark and Diane are in the States at this particular time and she's receiving treatment for her, uh, her cancer. But yet we also see that while they're here, the work is continuing to forth. Not because there's another missionary to carry the work on, but because they've gone. God has uh, seen fit to use their ministry of the gospel to reach uh, the lost there in Yap. And uh, uh, and as souls have been saved, as souls have been discipled, as souls have been trained uh, to carry on the work. That work today is being carried on by those that are uh, 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 residents of that island. And so we're excited about that. And so we see it's a command from above. And so we see, secondly, though, it's a cry from beneath. Not only has God given us the commission, the command to go, but we also see that it's a cry from beneath. Turn over to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, it's a cry from beneath. Here we have the uh, account of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, some say, well, it's just a story. It's just a parable. No, I believe it's an actual, actual event uh, that took place here. And we see that it's a cry from beneath there in verses 19 through 31. It says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received receivest the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that they may testify that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, the word of God, let them hear them. He said, he said, nay, father Abraham, but if one uh, went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rose from the dead. We see here the cry from beneath. First of all, notice with me the characteristics of that cry, the fact that it's prayerful. It's often been noted that the greatest prayer meeting that's ever taken place isn't one that's taken place in the local church or in our homes. It's the one that's taking place in hell today. We notice there in verse 27, the rich man says, I pray thee, therefore, Father, he's praying out, he's crying out, he's pleading with God uh, because of the torment that he's going through. He says he's tormented in, uh, in the flames and so forth. And so it's a prayerful cry, the characteristic that's there. It's a painful one. Notice verses 23, 24, and 28, where he says he speaks of being in torments. He's being tormented in this. So it's a very real thing. And so from the cry from beneath, it's a prayerful 
uh, 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 cry. It's a, pa a painful cry. It's a passionate cry. He's pleading for mercy, God's mercy, not upon him, but God's mercy that he would send someone to tell his brothers. And though uh, he said to send one or to, uh, to, uh, to send uh, Lazarus to go to his, his, his brothers there, that lest they should come to that place. We see lastly here, it's a pleading cry. It's a pleading, please, Father, please, Father, send someone, uh, send Lazarus to, to, to minister to my brothers. But we see the cause of the cry. We see that not, not just the characteristic of the cry, but the cause of the cry because of the rem remembrance of what was. Notice verse 25. But he said, uh, but Abraham said, son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus is evil. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented because of the cause of the cry was his remembrance of what was. You know, we have a lot of regrets in our life along the way. We wish that we hadn't done certain things, and then we wish we would have done other things. No doubt we can remember times in our life when after somebody left our presence, we, we really know that we should have done something more as far as giving them a gospel tract or giving them a gospel witness uh, of Jesus Christ. And the remembrance of what was, what could have been, what should have been. You know, maybe you've been in those situations where a family member or a friend has passed away and you're not sure about their eternal destiny, their salvation. And yet you replay back over in your minds those times, those opportunities that could have been, that should have been, but that weren't because we didn't take the time to, to give the good news uh, to them. And so there was the remembrance. The cause of the cry was the remembrance of what was. Secondly, we notice the reality of what is. Verse number 26, it says, and besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot and neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And so the reality of what is this is my permanent dwelling for all of eternity, uh, the reality of what is. And then we notice also the realization for what will be for others. Verse number 28, he talks about the fact for I have five brethren that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Uh, we see the realization of what will be for others. You know, we need to recognize that hell is a real place. We talk about it. We say that we believe it. And we say that's where people outside of Jesus Christ go. But we don't necessarily live with the urgency of realizing uh, the, the horrible, awful place that it is, and that it will be for them when they arrive there. We feel that we're safe and secure in Jesus Christ, and we are. But many times we're too comfortable in, 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 in sharing that gospel with other people. And so we see that there was the time of point of remembrance. There was the reality of what is the realization, what will be for others. And yet we also see the regret for eternity, the horrible regret for eternity, because there, we, we live in time. We know that at some point in time, we will face death and we will face eternity. But eternity is forever. It's not just for this moment and just for this time. And so we see why the why of missions is because of the command God commands. God's commissioned us to go. The command from above. We see the cry from beneath. The fact that the greatest prayer meeting taking place today is that which is taking place in hell. With people that are there today pleading and begging for God's people to go and pleading for God's people to, to, to give the gospel to their loved one. And then thirdly, we see the call from without. The call from without, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we have the account of, of Paul. He's on his now second missionary journey 
Acts chapter 16, and Paul is determined to uh, to go uh, a, a certain direction, and the Spirit of God directs him, redirects him in another path, in another way. I begin reading in verse number six. It says, "Now when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia, the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, and they assailed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not." And they passing uh, by Mysia came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. We see the call from without that there is uh, many throughout the world that are calling, that are pleading for others to come. I remember hearing an evangelist preach uh, uh, one time when I was in Bible college about his experience of going into the Philippines and, and meeting up with some missionary there and the missionary taking them throughout that region of, of uh, the islands where they were in the Philippines. And there's so many islands throughout the Philippines, and yet many of those islands have, at that time and maybe even yet have not yet heard the gospel one time. And the missionary told uh, this evangelist said, hey, we're, today we're going to go over to this island. He said, I've never been there. He said, I don't know that the gospel has ever been there either. And he said, but I just really feel led of the Lord to, to go there and uh, see what we might find there. And so they did go and boarded that boat and went over and, and, and began to communicate. The language was the same as where this missionary, uh, uh, the island the missionary was on. And they began to talk to the uh, the community village leaders there about what they why they were there and what they desired to do. And the word got out throughout that village that uh, a missionary had come and a, and a preacher had come and had an important message to share. And, and that day, the, uh, the community gathered uh, there at the community center, uh, just a, 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 a lean to type of a structure that was that was put up and people began to gather and sit on the on the ground and gather around it and and uh, basically it looked like the whole community come out and and uh, the, the evangelist got up to preach and preached with through the interpreter as the gospel went forth uh, god moved in the hearts of the people there and the preacher went and sat down you know and and the people just stayed and and the, and they they called out for more more we want to hear more and so he got up and preached again another message and and uh, again, as he sat down, they said more and more, you know, we we want to hear more of your God. And so he got up a third time and preached again. And and uh, as the people responded to the gospel and trusted Christ as their savior, that as they prior to leaving that uh, that uh, that island that evening, that there was a, an elderly gentleman, I believe, around 85, 86 years of age that was crippled up and in a wheelchair. And he asked specifically to to speak to the missionary and to the evangelist. And, and uh, so they, they went to meet with this gentleman and the gentleman basically told them, says, you know, for years and years and years, I prayed that if there is a God, that God would send someone to come and share that news of who he was uh, to us. And today God has answered my prayer and uh, was truly grateful for that. And then as uh, the, the, the story concluded was, is that as they loaded in uh, the boat to, to go back to their, the island that they had come from, that people lined up all along the, the shores there and climbed up into the palm trees and pleaded with them to, to come back soon or to send someone else to carry uh, to, to help them and encourage them 
with the good news of the gospel. And so we see that there is call from without all around the world, people crying out for the truth of the gospel. We see, first of all, here the request of, uh, of the call from without. Uh, the, ma the man of Macedonia in this vision said, come over and help us, come over and help us. We can't help ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and, and earn our way to heaven. As uh, uh, I heard a preacher once say, if you're working your way to heaven, you're earning your way to hell. And so we see that the request, the call is to come and help. There are many throughout the, this world that are calling and, and requesting for us to come and to be a help to them. We see the immediate response of Paul and those that were with him. Verse number 10 says, and immediately we endeavored to go. There wasn't a hesitation. They knew that it was that it was of God, that God had, had directed, redirected their path and their course. And sometimes we're so committed to the, a particular path and direction that we're, we're not pliable and as, as God tries to redirect the course of our life. But we're grateful and thankful here in this passage of Scripture to see that Paul was sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God and that immediately they endeavored to go over into Macedonia and knowing what's what took place. The churches of that region that were established, the result of uh, them going and answering that call from without was uh, individuals were converted and churches were established. Some of those churches, like the church at Thessalonica, that was a great church. And they, in turn, as a result of those believers in that area, in that region getting saved, they, in turn, sent out missionaries. We see the church at Philippi, uh, as Paul had written to the church uh, there uh, uh, at Philippi. The book of Philippians was written to them. Uh, we see that the, it was a great church as well. Uh, uh, Berea was another area uh, where church had been established and uh, Iconium and, and Lystra and Derby. That was the region. These were churches that were all established. Because Paul, uh, the Spirit of God redirected Paul and his missionary team to this region of the world. And so the call from without demands that we respond and answer uh, to that. And then also we see lastly here, we see the constraint from within. Second Corinthians chapter five, second Corinthians chapter five. We see, first of all, the command from above God's command for us to go. We see the cry from beneath there in hell itself, people crying out for God to send those to their family and friends. And then we see also the call from without the regions beyond where they're requesting and pleading for someone to come. And then we see the constraint from within the constraint from within. Begin reading uh, Paul writing in verse number 11. It says, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience, for we commend not ourselves again unto you but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We see the constraint, Paul says, for the love of Christ constrains us. You know, maybe the reason we don't go, maybe the reason we don't give is we don't love the Lord as much as we say and tell others that we love the Lord. It's easy to come to church and to sing the great hymns of the faith and the choruses and so forth, the gospel songs that we sing. As we sing about, uh, oh, how I love Jesus and those types of things, uh, as far as uh, singing and, and proclaiming our love for the Lord. But, you know, love is, 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 is an action word. 
Love ought to motivate us. Our love for God, our love for, for the gospel ought to motivate us to go forth and give out the gospel. We see the constraint from within. First of all, the motive uh, is the love of Christ, his love for us and thereby my love for him. Realizing all that he's done to save me and all that he's done to provide for this world uh, the means of salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see Paul also mentioned in this passage of scripture, his motivation. Verse number 11, he says, no, there, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That which was Paul's motivation was knowing the judgment that was to come upon individuals who exited this life with, without the Lord Jesus Christ. This past week had the privilege to be at the graveside of Mary Morse. And, and there were a, a small group of people that gathered for that, that service. And Mary, uh, in living this life, uh, it wasn't an easy life for her. She faced some real hardships, a lot of health issues throughout her life. Matter of fact, the, uh, for as long as I've known Mary, Mary was sickly most of her life. She was in and out of uh, the, the care facilities or the hospital. Even when she was home, wasn't in the, always in the best of health. I remember her coming through the back doors of the auditorium on a Sunday evenings, you know, uh, managing to get her, herself here to church. And, and it wasn't easy for her. But yet realizing uh, her faithfulness to, to God and, and to the things of God, having this past week the opportunity to, to kind of go through. Uh, there were three Bibles that I was given, a, a small little Bible that had a snap cover, then a little bit bigger uh, Bible and then a full size Bible that she had had. And going through each of those uh, uh, scriptures, well, I was amazed at the, the notes that she had taken, how meticulous that they were, how carefully that they were written. And the fact that... Uh, uh, as, as the gospel was going forth, uh, that, that she wrote that down so that she would never she would not soon forget. Some of them were personal notes that she had written. Some of them were notes from messages that she heard preached and the impact that it must have had upon her. But throughout her life and, and the difficulties and the struggles for life and living, and she didn't have a lot of the means of this world and, and so forth like that. But nonetheless, her faithful uh, life and testimony being lived out for Jesus Christ. And uh, knowing the fact that one day that she would stand before him in his presence today, she's there in the very presence of God, not because she was a good person, not because she went to church, not because she was baptized, not because she was reared uh, by godly parents, but because of the fact that she made a decision in her life to make that uh, personal decision to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. And so, therefore, we see that uh, uh, our motivation as 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 Mary experienced the, the grace of God, the goodness of God throughout her life, that that uh, as she responded and it changed her life, uh, we see that we need to carry forth the gospel and knowing the terror of the Lord, the judgment of God that will, will fall upon unsaved, uh, unrepentant individuals, that we ought to be persuaded to persuade men with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we see also the ministry, the constraint from within it ought to drive us to the ministry. Verse number 18 says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. As God's love was demonstrated to us, as someone gave us the gospel, whether we were at a church where we heard the gospel message, somebody handed us a tract or gave us a gospel witness. We were reconciled that day that we repented of our sins and trusted Christ as our savior. We were reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ through that ministry. And now God has given us because we were beneficiaries of the grace of God. 
we have the responsibility to now be a minister of reconciliation, sharing that good news of the gospel with someone else. And then we see also the mandate, the mandate, verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God to beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. God views us as ambassadors. When you think of an ambassador, it's a representative of one nation going to another nation to be representative of the home nation. And uh, that's exactly how, how we are viewed as believers in Christ. We are ambassadors uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And, and we are, as his ambassadors, ambassadors, a representative of that, that homeland. And uh, ought to be a, a proud uh, a representation of that and a bold representation of that and stand for that particular land. Stories told of an individual named Sam that uh, everybody in Sam's company uh, had, had, was presented with a new pension plan. And it called for all of the employees to sign uh, and, and provide a small contribution. The company was paying uh, the majority of it, but the, each employee was to give in a little bit. Unfortunately, 100 uh, percent of the employee participation was what was required. Uh, Sam's boss and his fellow workers pleaded with him to sign this new pension plan, but he wouldn't do it. Finally, the company president called Sam into his office and said, Sam, here's a copy of the new pension. Uh, here's the pen. Here's a pen. I want you to sign the papers. I'm sorry, but if you don't sign, you're fired as of right now. Sam quickly grabbed the pen and signed the papers. The boss looked at him and said, would you mind telling me why you didn't sign up earlier? Sam's reply was, well, sir, nobody explained it quite to me so clearly before. And the reality is, is the gospel and our responsibility to give forth the gospel, the, the command from above, the cry from beneath. Uh, we see the uh, call from without and the constraint from within. All four of these uh, avenues of the why of missions um, ought to be such that it's a clear message and, and, a, and a clear responsibility that we have. We ought to be carrying gospel tracts with us. We ought to be willing to share a witness and a testimony, an invitation to come to church and where we know that people will hear the gospel. We ought to have a passion for souls and a compassion. We can't go to the regions beyond, but you know what? We can give so that others can go. We've now supported the Burgies for a number of years, supported the Schultzes for longer than that be, uh, as they're there in Tanzania. And, and the Stanzics will be coming the following week, and they're looking to gain support so that uh, they can do what God's called them to do. But they are our ambassadors as we send them forth. There are our, they are our representatives as, as we have sent Missionaries to the far reaches of the world. They're our representative, Trinity Baptist Church in those lands. And the gospel, we, we have a part in, in, in the, the reward of the gospel going there. And for those souls that are, that are being saved there, those that are being discipled and those that are being trained to, to lead ministries so that missionary can go on to another village or down to another city or community and establish a work there. And so realize the why of missions is because it's what God's called us to do. Realize it's important, how important that it is, the impact that it has, and that uh, we must not fail to fulfill the commission that God's called us to, to do uh, for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful and grateful for your word. Lord, you've given us a task to do. Lord, it's a, a simple task, but it's, it's not easy. 
to 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 fulfill all that that we need to do. Lord, we just first of all need to be in the power of your spirit with the word of God. And Lord, you'll give us the words to say and the, and the ability to to make it clear. And Lord, help us to do our part in fulfilling your commission to the mission that you've left us to, to fulfill. You were our example. Everywhere you went, you, you ministered to people. You cared for their needs. You met them where they were. You provided uh, uh, in so many different ways for them. Lord, you've entrusted to us the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the very truth of what people need to hear. And yet so many times we treat it like a, a, treasure, a treasure jewel or gem and we, we, we conceal it and we, we hold it close because uh, we don't want to lose it. But Lord, you didn't give it to us to keep. You gave it to us to give. Lord, you gave your own life's blood for us. And so we ask and pray that you would accomplish your purpose uh, through our lives, that as we one day will stand before thee, we will hear the well done, thou good and faithful servant, because we are faithful, not just in living our life to the glory and honor of your name, but that we are faithful in giving out the truth of the gospel and supporting missions uh, here at home as well as around the world. And so, Lord, we ask and pray that uh, as we contemplate and consider this month, our, our focus on missions, Lord, that we would we would be mindful to, to engage ourselves uh, in our own community, in the ministries here at Trinity Baptist Church, of getting, give, getting and giving the gospel forth, that we would support uh, the missions uh, emphasis uh, that we have here and uh, providing the financial needs and responsibilities, the prayers that our missionaries need as they go forth to continue to the work that you've directed them to do. So we commit ourselves and uh, to thee in the work of missions for the glory and honor of you because you've, you've commanded us to do it. Uh, those that have gone on before us and are in hell today are praying and crying out that we will go and that we will give. And Lord, that uh, the constraints of our love for Christ might lead us to do and fulfill the task that you've called us to. We ask and pray these things now in your precious name. Amen.